Ted did not take issue with this uncontroversial assertion. Yes, really get the smell of the sea with the windows open. Have you still never been on the beach, Ted? He shook his shaggy head in mock fear. Oh, no, not my element, the sea. I'm a city bloke, really. Yes, but you have been living on the south coast for some years now, and the beach is less than a hundred yards away. No, not for me. I find it easier to pretend the sea's not there. He leant forward conspiratorially over the bar. That way I'm not at risk from mermaids. What? Oh, they're well known for luring men to their deaths. I thought those were sirens. Mermaids do it too. I should know. Had a girlfriend who was a mermaid once. Beautiful. Her vital statistics were thirty-eight, twenty-four, and a large cod. Carol winced. What a loss you were to the stand-up circuit, Ted. He chuckled, then nodded across to the well-rounded, bubble-haired figure leaning in towards Stephen. That's the famous fiancé, is it? He had not been behind the bar when they arrived, so no introductions had been made. Carol confirmed that it was indeed the famous fiancé. Looks as if she's a good thing for Stephen, Ted observed. How do you mean? I've seen you having lunch in here with him a few times over the years. Conversation seems to be flowing a bit more freely with the fiancé around. Carol neither confirmed nor denied this, but she knew it was true. The days when Stephen had come down to Feathering and picked up his mother from her house, High Tor, for dutiful lunches, had never been particularly relaxing for either of them. He had always taken refuge in talking about his work, which made Carol feel guilty because she had so little understanding of it and could feign so little interest in it. Gabby's appearance on the scene had certainly freed up the conversational logjam, even without the reliable standby of the wedding, there never seemed to be a lack of topics for discussion when Gabby was present. Murmuring some all-purpose response to Ted Crisp, Carol crossed back to the table. The momentary dissension between the engaged couple had evidently been smoothed over, but the firmness with which Stephen embarked on a new topic of conversation showed that Gabby's family history was not about to be probed further. We've absolutely decided that we're going to get married down here. Down here? Yes, mother, in feathering. Carol still winced inwardly at the formality of that mother, particularly as she couldn't forget that Stephen called his father dad. But surely Gabby's parents—I mean, it is traditional for the bride to be married where she grew up. Carol looked at Gabby, who shrugged. Well, I wasn't brought up in Harlow, which is where they live now, and in fact I do have a West Sussex connection. Oh? My mother went to school in Worthing. I wasn't born down here, but I think she'd only just moved out of the area. I don't know. Mum's always a bit vague about that period of her life. Fine. So it'll be Worthing rather than Harlow. Carol hoped the relief didn't show in her voice. Her middle-class sensibilities would have been troubled by the idea of her son being married in Essex. Hard to disguise that kind of thing. People viewing the wedding photographs would be bound to ask where the event had happened— and of course it'd be on the marriage certificate for perpetuity. The genteel folk of West Sussex did not hold the county of Essex in the highest esteem. Yes, besides, Gabby paused, as though uncertain whether she should proceed with the sentence. She made up her mind and went on. The fact is, Carol, that my parents aren't really... Well, it's going to be easier all round if Stephen and I make most of the arrangements. Carol didn't say anything but her disquiet communicated itself, so Gabby hastened to correct any false impression. 
It's not that they aren't happy about Stephen and me getting married. They're absolutely delighted. It's just... Well, the fact is that my mother is a terrible worrier. Organizing a wedding would be like a nightmare for her. She's just not good at that stuff. The only way she's going to enjoy the event at all is if she has nothing at all to do with the arrangements. Carol took a rather dim view of this. She hadn't got a daughter, so the situation would never arise for her. But she liked to think that in the same circumstances she would have done her duty. She might not enjoy organizing a wedding, but she knew that that was part of the complex package of agreements every parent of a daughter signed up to. Still, maybe those rules didn't apply for people who lived in Essex. She tried to keep the disapproval out of her face, but clearly failed. I know you think that's wrong, Carol, but believe me, if my mother was in charge, the wedding wouldn't be at all well organized, and being responsible for it would probably cause her a nervous breakdown. Well, you know best. That sounds fine. But Carol wasn't convinced it was fine. Also, the mention of a nervous breakdown raised the disturbing possibility of instability in the family of her future daughter-in-law. Carol Seddon was very old-fashioned about the concept of mental illness. She liked to think that she kept her emotions so firmly under control that she herself was in no danger of such a lapse, and tended to be judgmental towards those who did succumb. A psychologist might have reckoned that this attitude reflected her fear of losing control of her own mind, but then Carol Seddon was not a psychologist, nor indeed had she ever consulted one. "'There's also the matter of money,' said Stephen. "'Gabby's mum and dad would do anything for her, but the fact is that they haven't really got a bean.' "'Afraid not,' his fiancée concurred. "'They've only got dad's pension. "'Whereas we're fortunate enough to be quite well healed at the moment.' so it was always going to be us who were going to pay for everything. Carol thought of her handsome civil service pension and her carefully squirreled savings. I'd be very happy to help out if... Not necessary, Mother, honestly. We don't have a problem with it. A lot of our contemporaries pay for their own weddings. It's different if you marry straight out of university when you have no money at all. Not to mention a huge student loan these days, Gabby added. Right. In those circumstances, you expect the parents to stump up. But Gabby and I are, well, both healthily established in our careers, so it makes sense for us to foot the bills. Yes, I'm sure that's fine, said Carol, again with more conviction than she felt. And, her son continued, on the he-who-pays-the-piper principle, that will also mean we can conduct the wedding in exactly the way we think fit. He pronounced this with an almost wolfish satisfaction, which again set alarm bells ringing for Carol. Surely they weren't going to go for some alternative style of wedding, not exchanges of vows they'd written specially for the occasion, or readings from The Road Less Travelled, or Captain Corelli's Mandolin, or crowning each other with garlands of wild flowers. None of that sounded terribly likely from the Stephen she knew, but Carol was coming to realise increasingly how little of her son she did know. And what, she asked tentatively, do you think fit? Oh, nothing outrageous, he replied, to her considerable relief. Traditional white church job, that's what we're after. Seeing his fiancée's wry grimace, he went on, No, Gabby, if we're going to do it, we'll do it properly. A big number. Invite everyone we know. The girl looked almost pleadingly at Carol. A large part of me would just like to dash off to a registry office and get the deed done on the quiet. No way. It's not as if we're ashamed of each other. Of course not. Then let's let everyone know about it. 
I think the most important bit of the wedding service is that before this congregation bit, though no doubt they've screwed up that too in the modern English version of the service. Carol wasn't enough of an expert on the liturgy to pass comment. Gabby still looked dubious. Though she worked in the flamboyant world of a theatrical agency, there was a reclusive quality about the girl, an unwillingness to be put into any kind of limelight, and that tendency seemed to strengthen as the reality of the wedding approached. She jutted out her lower lip. I don't know. I think the playwright Ian Hay probably got it right when he described marriage as a ghastly public confession of a strictly private intention. Stephen chuckled. It'll be all right, love. I want to show you off. I want everyone to know that I'm marrying the most wonderful woman in the world. Carol lowered her eyes in embarrassment. This seemed a rather effusive statement from a member of the Seddon family. The thought seemed to cause further disquiet to Gabby, too. But it enabled Stephen to move on to what was clearly another bone of contention for the engaged couple. Which is why, Gabby, I think we really have got to put the announcement in the paper. I honestly don't think that's necessary, Steve. Carol had never heard her son called Steve by anyone but Gabby. Even his school friends had stuck to the rather sedate Stephen. We've told all our friends, Gabby went on. Everyone who needs to know already knows. But somehow the engagement doesn't really seem proper unless there's been an announcement in the Times and the Telegraph. Carol sympathized completely with her son's response. There was a right way of doing these things. I agree. Really, Gabby, you'll be amazed by the reaction you get to an official engagement announcement. People you knew as a child, school friends, people you've completely forgotten about, they'll all write and congratulate you. Gabby grimaced without enthusiasm. I'm not sure that I want that. People coming out of the woodwork? The idea troubled her for a moment. Then she moved on in a lighter vein.